You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. So, uh, the pilot whale, which I always find fascinating with whales, or Aerodactyla. What can they teach us? It's thought that these older females have evolved to no longer have the ability to reproduce, right? Stop having a cycle. And then they can use their time and their energy to basically nurture their daughter's offspring. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I am excited to go back into the ocean. It's been a while, and I know we save a lot for July, for plastic-free July, so we've got a bunch of ocean species coming, but I was just itching to get back there. Oh, yeah, Chris. It's been a fun week prepping for pilot whales. I've learned a lot, Mm -hmm. and once again, I'm really inspired just not only by marine mammals, but just the ocean itself, the abundance of life, the mysteries in the ocean, because there's still so much we don't know when you think of studying different species, whether they're marine mammals or fish. It's just, it's hard to know a lot about them and they keep surprising us. And I think the pilot whale is just another one of those species. It is, it is. And and I specifically asked you to cover pilot whales because we have a special episode coming up with our good buddy, Corbin Maxey. Mm-hmm. And we've had a, a few of our fans reach out and say, hey, you should cover this documentary that's been out on Netflix called Seaspiracy. And if you haven't watched it, we've got a special episode coming up to, to, to kind of talk more about it. Some of the facts, some of the myths, you know, fact check what was claimed in there. But in there, Angie, was a very harrowing scene, uh, video footage of the whale hunt in the Faroe Islands where they slaughter a large pod of pilot whales. And I'm going to go into a little bit today, and obviously with with Corbin, we'll we'll go more in depth with this. But it was, it it just, whaling, it's hard to talk about for me, because I know you and I are scientists, and we really try to be neutral as much as possible, because that is how we're trained, how we should think. We want evidence. You know, we're evidence-based scientists. So I, I did do a little bit digging about specifically why pilot whales are, are killed by the Faroese in the Faroe Islands. But I just, I wanted to cover this species. I love whales. I, you know, I go back to the orca episodes we did. I mean, we had to do two episodes. <laughs> we did, yes. I don't think. This will turn into a no. two episode, but I do have a lot of slides. A lot there's there's several pictures in there though. Mm-hmm. I think too, and of course all the vocalizations, and so we'll keep it down to just one episode. But but they are they're just yeah. so fascinating. And but one of the first things that I found out when I started studying the species was they're called pilot whales, but they're actually in the dolphin family. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, just like orcas. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So I that was my first kind of hmm. Okay, I'm I'm paying attention now. Tell me more about this unique creature. And and then yeah, learning that there's actually two species of pilot whales. Mm-hmm. I 
I didn't really know that, that there's the long fin and short fin. So we'll dive into that as we uh, go into descriptions and habitats, but just a really beautiful, intelligent creature with culture and dialects. And we'll get to some of that when, uh, when we talk about behavior. So I watched Seaspiracy this past week as well. And whaling is a, a big part of it and how it starts and ends. But just throughout the whole documentary, I, I think it really is eye-opening. And I'm excited to talk about, some, do some fact-checking and talk about some of these things because it is, you almost need a palate cleanser after. It really does, it does alert us that the oceans are in trouble. Mm-hmm. Lots of species. And those facts are definitely true. So as an animal lover, an ocean lover, uh, it's just making me wonder, like, what can I do to help? And so hopefully we'll help answer that in today's podcast, but then also uh, when we cover Seaspiracy uh, later this week. Well, I think we just jump right into it, Angie, and, and talk about the description of the pilot whales. You know, there is some slight differences between the, the short finned and long finned. Yes, Chris, there is. But in general, the pilot whales are larger than most dolphins. And I think that's why I thought they were in the whale family. And maybe that's why they're named that. I couldn't find an answer to why aren't they a pilot dolphin? Uh, but that's me just always overthinking things sometimes. But what really makes the pilot whale stand out is that they have this large, distinctive, bulbous melon, almost similar to a beluga as compared to a dolphin, where dolphins' heads are obviously much more streamlined. And in general, both species of pilot whales are dark gray, brown, blackish in color, but they have these light areas that can be almost white or light gray uh, that are like a saddle patch behind their dorsal fin. And then they also have like an anchor shaped or the shape of a W of this light gray, white color under their chin. And they have a beautiful little subtle blaze marking behind their eye and then also a light marking on their belly and then on their belly and then on their genital region. So that's for both species. But what really separates the long fin from the short fin pilot whales are going to be the flippers or the fins. And both species have what we call sickle shaped front flippers. But with the long fin species, they're going to be longer, hence the name, long finned. So it really doesn't have anything to do with size. It has to do with the fin to body length ratio. And then lastly, another thing that really sets them apart, I think, from other uh, members in the dolphin family is that the their tail area, basically from their dorsal fin all the way to their flukes, uh, their, their hind tail flippers, it's a lot thicker. And they're not this streamline, it doesn't like streamline to the base of their tail like you see more in dolphins or orcas. It's uh, In some ways, their body shape almost reminds me more of a beluga, wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. They, that, that's that's the species I thought of like when you compare them to another type of whale. Yeah, and they're but they're really cute. They have these tiny eyes and this the small mouth that mm-hmm. slants upwards towards the eye, similar to a beluga, right? With the, that bulbous mm-hmm. kind of melon on top of their head. But we'll talk about in evolution that they're not super closely related to belugas. No, you're right. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Now, again, like Angie said, they're they're pretty big. I you know, especially compared to dolphins, it's 
bot the average body length can be about 21 feet or six and a half meters for females and then males up to 25 feet. So, or seven and a half, eight meters long. Uh, females can weigh up to 3000 pounds or 1300 kilograms where males, you know, 5,000 pounds, 2300 kilograms. Now that's long fin, short finned are about the same length, but the males may weigh a little bit more. The females weigh, may weigh a little bit more than the long fin, but again, not a huge difference, like you said, with size. And honestly, Chris, not much difference with the markings and even even those pectoral flippers, because as time goes on and researchers are able to study more genetics with these guys, yes, the long fin pilot whales do have longer fins compared to the short fins, but honestly, they're finding with necropsy, the best way to tell the two species apart is their skull. That's mm-hmm. where you're able to find the most morphological differences between a long fin pilot whale and a short fin pilot whale. And it has to do with the shape of their skull and the elongated rostrum area. And then, of course, their teeth. Because we should mention, too, that the pilot whales are toothed mm-hmm. dolphins, which means they have teeth used for hunting, right? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they are two separate species, even though there's not a lot of huge difference. They are two separate species, not subspecies. They are two separate species. Yes. And they do live in different areas. Right. Yeah. So good roll into that. It's really interesting, actually, when you look at the ranges. Yeah. I have the map here on my slides. Yeah. It's really crazy. So the long-finned pilot whales live in the cooler waters of the southern oceans and then the North Atlantic uh, and probably the Mediterranean a little bit there where the short finned pilot whales kind of live along the equator where temperate or tropical waters is where they live. So two totally separate biomes, you know, water temperatures, things like that. And their ranges do overlap a little bit. So I love it that off my coast here in, in the North Island of New Zealand, you have both short-finned and long-finned pilot whales, whereas you go to the South Island, New Zealand, it should generally be just the long-finned, and you see that. Now, in the Northern Pacific, there are no pilot whales. Now, I, I don't cover a lot of this in evolution, but there's belief that there was a third subspecies that lived there in the Northern Pacific. They have found uh, fossils and other things. And the last sighting of them was off Japan about over a thousand years ago. So they eventually died out or were hunted off. So the, the, this third species, and that's still debatable. Scientists are still trying to figure, figure them out, uh, that, that species, but that probably explains that absence in the Northern Pacific of the long finned pilot whale. We'll put a map on our show notes so you can see uh, the areas where they overlap and where they typically are. It's it's really really quite fascinating. Now, as an oceanic predator, I mean, these are pretty critical to a healthy biome. For sure, Chris. We'll talk about their diet and nutrition, but a quick spoiler alert is that pilot whales eat a lot of squid and other smaller fish as well. So throughout the range, they're really important for keeping those populations under control. So if, if they're gone from their range, then the squid and other fish populations really increase. So 
it's in the food chain, they're definitely high up there. Mm-hmm. And and you might think to yourself, well, who cares if there's that, you know, okay, if there's a lot of squids or cod or uh, medium-sized fish that they would hunt. Well, if there's a lot more of those, then they're going to wipe out the smaller fish. Mm-hmm. And then without those, it's just going to be a snowball effect down the food chain of hindering all the different species onward even to like phytoplankton. So when you take out a pretty serious predator, uh, and I don't know if a pilot whale is considered a apex predator, like a killer whale is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I don't know why it wouldn't be. I think for those populations it is. It's it's up there. I mean, yeah. it's up there. Not many things hunt pilot whales besides people. But I mean, they, I mean pilot yeah. whales, they eat a massive amount of food every day. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. And I mean, you know, just I just thinking of any predator, you know, calling sick, less hardy, you know, it just has so many impacts that we can't really see in real time. You know, overall genetic health of a population as far as, you know, less strong swimmer squid get eaten by pilot whales, right? Where stronger swimming squid survive. Whatever it, it's say that fast three times. Stronger it's, swimming squids, stronger <laughs> swimming skid, squid. See, I couldn't, see, even, do I couldn't even do it. <laughs> but see, I mean, that's where t- that's where predators come in. They're so critical in maintaining a biome's health. So yeah, they, they definitely are are up there, and, and they're they're a critical check to many species. Now, health of the oceans, obviously, Angie. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about this with Corbin. And especially in July, you know, we, we highlight this quite a bit. I mean, the oceans are in trouble, period. And we've talked about that in past podcasts. And, and again, we'll address it in the future podcasts. I wanted to talk about something that affects pilot whales directly. And this is this pilot whale hunt that goes on. Now, again, like I said in the beginning, I, I try to, I'm going to be trying to be as neutral as possible. I'll save some of these facts for the seaspiracy discussion because it it it, it is a, it just a... That and the Japanese uh, killing dolphins, it just, it breaks my heart. But again, as a scientist, I try to gather facts and see, ask why. Okay, why are you hunting these animals? What's Well, and does it really impact their population? Right. Things like that. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And I I will say, the Faroese or the Faroe Islands, which is located... 200 miles northwest of Scotland. So it's in between Norway and Iceland. So you're talking about the North Atlantic. It, it's, it's a cold place. It's part of the kingdom of Denmark, but it's self-governing. Now the population's just over 50,000 people on these islands. And, and, and I'll be honest, the islands are beautiful. I've seen pictures. I thought, wow, it'd be really cool to visit there one day. You know, Pip and I would joke about like when the, the weather in England was really bad. I would always pull up the weather app of Faroe Islands and say, well, it could be worse. We could be living here. <laughs> I was going to say, you would want to go in the summertime. <laughs> yes. it's uh, Even in the summer, Angie, it was like 50 degrees Fahrenheit, cold and windy and wet. Like just, I don't think I saw a day over 60 uh, in the Faroe Islands, but it, it was just a funny joke back and forth. Now, the Faroe Islands were, were settled by Vikings or the Norse people back in 300 AD. All right, so it's that's why it goes back to Denmark. Now, fishing is their major industry. It's 95% of their exports are fish, and it's half of their gross domestic product or their economy. It's a huge, huge part of their economy. 
Now, when it comes to whaling, the Farinese claim, because it's part of their culture, that they have a right to whale. Now, as... Geez, how do I do this without being biased? I understand indigenous peoples that whale to survive. You have Inuit populations, say, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up some stats. We've covered this before. They take up to 500 belugas a, wh- a year, 70 bowhead whales a year. That helps them survive. That mm-hmm. is a big part of their survival. I get that. And I, I am not in a position to argue against that. You know, they don't have supermarkets where they live. They are still continuing traditions that they've had for thousands of years. Okay. So they don't have really alternative food sources like say we do where we can just jump in our cars or or get on our bikes and go to the grocery store. Now, whaling in the Faroe Islands has been going on for a thousand years, over a thousand years, right? That obviously for much of their history, whaling was important for their survival. Right. Right. They needed it. They they Mm -hmm. didn't have the food resources to be able to feed everybody. So they had to whale. I get that. I'm not arguing against that. But now today they do farm sheep, cattle, chickens, fish, pork's very popular there. They don't raise pigs there, but they import a lot of pork. They have alternative food sources. So domesticated yes, animals. Proteins. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now they're arguing that the whaling is part of their tradition. And so they have a right and they don't want people telling them how to live. Now, where, as a scientist, as an animal scientist, as somebody who has worked in animal agriculture, I have taught students in this field. I, I have seen animals harvested. I know how it works. And I would say, at least in the United States and many industrialized nations, the way our, our animals are harvested today is very humane. There are many laws that regulate that. I, I have personally seen it. It's, it, it's very quick. The animals are, are out and dead very, very fast, right? That's where we get our meat. And that's just prefacing saying these are animals that this is why they're raised. They have short lifespans. It's just that is where we get our meat. Where I think I have issues, especially with somebody who studied animal welfare, who animal behavior is how these whales are hunted and killed. And the Faroe Island people call this a grind. Mm -hmm. And when we get to behavior, Angie, you'll talk about culture. We talked about this in orcas. These are tight social family groups. You have grandmothers, mothers, daughters, sons. I mean, so much so that if one strands itself, the whole family will join. Yeah. Very tight. Researchers think. We're not exactly sure why pilot whales are one of the uh, one of the more common whale species to strand themselves or dolphin species to strand themselves. But a lot of it might be from the behavior of these close knit yeah. pods or family groups. So yeah. there's that, yep. which is also why they're able to drive them with boats, mm-hmm. herd them, if you will, for lack of better terms, 
uh, on closer to shore yeah. because they won't leave each other. Yeah. I mean, it's a very long living species. It's, it's a horror show and in Seaspiracy, I will warn you if you haven't seen it at the end, they, they show this. And like Angie said, they get in these flotilla, flotilla of boats. They round up the whales, they drive them to shore. They bring them up to shore they come with a big knife and they sever the spinal cords and they claim that it kills the whales instantly. And it doesn't many times the whales do suffer while they bleed out. And it's just horrific. I even, and this is news reports that if the whale isn't correct position, they will go and get a metal hook, jam it in their head and drag them into the correct position so they can be killed. It is inhumane. I'm sorry. I, I'm a scientist. I've studied this behavior, all this stuff. It From the second they start driving these whales, they have to be under incredible amounts of stress. It is extremely stressful. It, it harkens back to, remember, you and I met Temple Grandin. If you mm-hmm. don't know anything about her story, we met her years ago at the University of Florida. You know, She works very hard for animal welfare of domestic mm-hmm. animals. Yes, Mm-hmm. So the whole harvesting or slaughter process is is as least stressful for these animals as possible. They get in there. They don't know what hits, hit them, right? That is not what's going on with these pilot whales. It is it is a, a horror show. It's absolutely horrific. And I think as huma- humans, we're better than this. It's a, we're better than this. So, they, you know, the, the Farinese and, you know, they kill about 800 whales a year. They don't eat all the meat. They say they do. They don't. Data, you know, I have data that I'll, that I'll share with you and Corbin. Well, Chris, in regards to the, the pilot whale meat, there's reports that the meat shouldn't be consumed because it's contaminated with heavy metals. Yeah. Yeah. Mercury. It, that's why they don't eat it. That's why they can't eat it all the time. So they harvest all this meat and they don't eat it. And they don't need it. That's the thing. They... They say, oh, we need it to survive. No, they don't. They don't. It's tradition. It's It goes back to what the Japanese are doing with their whaling. Iceland is doing with their whaling. It's traditions that need to go away. They need to go away. And we've talked about the Japanese stuff in previous pods. But, uh, you know, it, the I, we'll, we'll talk to Corbin more about, like, some of the philosophical stuff with it. Well, and often game or animals are hunted too when there's an overpopulation. And so at least here in the States, um, our fish and wildlife try to, departments try to monitor uh, wild populations to decide how many should or shouldn't be hunted and how mm-hmm. many licenses can be given out. And hunting in general is a different pod for a different day. I come from a long line of hunters that would hunt deer, not my family per se, but my grandparents and mm-hmm. uncles and things like that. Uh, that would hunt, take the, get their one deer and consume yeah. all of the meat. Yeah. Uh, and so the IUCN is currently saying that they don't think these 800 that are culled or hunted, gathered, whatever you want to call it, each year is in negatively influencing the population numbers, but we don't know the exact population. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really hard to say how much it's impacting the overall numbers or not. It's I think it's safe to say that there's not too many pilot whales yeah. in the oceans. Right. Where yeah. 
in Michigan, we've had instances of too many deer and yeah, diseases yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that is definitely not the case. Now, is are the are the Faroe Island hunts making the pilot whales endangered? It doesn't look like it at this point, right? So it's it's this weird fine line of using an argument one way that works for you and not the other way. And so it's 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 tough. It's uh, uh, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about it, um, but several several animal rights groups uh, think this is completely unnecessary as well. Oh, I, I you know, I'm it is unnecessary. I, they have enough food. They have enough food. They don't need to kill the whales to to survive. Well, well, yeah. When I found out like the meat's contaminated, I'm like, oh, come on now. I mean, it's one thing if you eat it, you know, but if I I think they're saying like, oh, if you are going to eat pilot whale meat um, on the island, have like one serving a month or something. Yeah, that's why they're not because it's because it has heavy metals in it. And I'm like, yeah. And they and and studies have shown that whale meat consumption in these islands has gone down because people know it's contaminated. No, I mean, it's like only 40% of the people eat the meat, 20,000 of them. Not even all of the, the whole island does not eat the meat. And when a reporter asked him, why are you doing this? And it's like, it's what, has, you know, the, the Farinese response was, it is what's kept us together for centuries. And, you know, they said, we don't want anyone to tell us how to live our lives. I'm just going to end this because we'll, we'll have a much more discussion with, with Corbin on this a little bit. And I'll throw some more statistics out there. but. On this podcast, in conservation circles, we go after Asia and tell them, stop killing elephants, stop killing rhinos, stop killing pangolins, stop killing bats, stop killing this because... They're endangered. Not only endangered, but there is no evidence that this stuff helps you. Right. Right. But Chinese medicine, they've been doing this for centuries, if not thousands of years. So... We're, we've evolved, humanity has evolved to say, this is wrong. You need to stop it. Right. We found actual medicine that can treat your hangover or your yes. whatever, your diabetes <laughs> yes. or, yes. Yes, your problems, getting, whatever. I, I, there's a bunch on that list. Right. So why can't we tell the Farinese, stop whaling? Right. Because we hear here are other protein sources. Yes. You like pork. Great. We'll import some more pork. You have tons of sheep on the island. You have some cattle. You have chickens, goats, whatever. You don't need to be doing what you're doing. Or if you're going to do it, just because you hunted inhumanely for th- hundreds of years, change. You know, change how you hunt these animals because what you're doing, it's, it's not a, a travesty. Fight. No, and it it is not hunting. It's a slaughter. It's a slaughter. And I respect a lot of hunters. My dad was a hunter. So, you know, it has nothing to do with that. You know, it has to do with you watch what happens. You see the grandma pilot whale and the mom pilot whale and the baby pilot whale being killed. If that doesn't invoke feelings in you, like I'm angry, like I, and I'm trying not to let my personal opinion bleed. I'm sorry if it did. <laughs> But it is inhumane. I could sit here as a scientist and point my finger at them and say, what you're doing is deplorable and it's inhumane and it needs to stop. <laughs> I'm done. There's my soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I, I, uh, you, you speak for both of us. It is, it is, uh, especially as I'm learning more about their behavior and their families. And we're going to talk, actually, you mentioned the grandmother. 
Well, we're going to talk about the grandmother hypothesis in these pilot whales and how important she is for the pod staying together and staying healthy. So, yeah, you can't tell me that that they don't have feelings when they see – a family member getting slaughtered and all the vocalizations and things that they're uh, making and the high stress, the high stress environment and things like uh, that. It's, it's deplorable. It's it, and even what the, you know, the dolphin, uh, the cove, what the Japanese are doing to the dolphins. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's deplorable. It is absolutely deplorable, but you know, to sit there and say, Oh, we've been doing it for a thousand years. And so we're going to keep doing it just because it's tradition. I'm sorry. We used to what hang quarter and, 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 chop up people like as form of punishment like we don't do that anymore because we were like that's pretty inhumane right there's a lot of things in our in our not so long ago past that we're trying to uh, do better about and that's just yeah that's that's as we get more educated and we understand more things and we're compassionate beings we want to do better yeah i just you know it it is nothing against eating meat it is nothing against hunting It, it is not any of that it is what you're doing is wrong. Okay. So let's, let's change On a lighter note. <laughs> I'll sit here all day. Wait till Corbett hears this. He's going to be like, what? <laughs> He'll probably be there right with this. All right. So the pilot whale, which I always find fascinating with whales, are Aerodactyla. So the even-toed ungulates, that's Love the them. order. So <laughs> your, your, your relatives are cattle, giraffes, mm-hmm. sheep, mm-hmm. some of the species we just talked about. Your cloven hooves, they are the relatives of our whales way back. Which is always so fascinating. It is. It is. That's where evolution just gets so, I I love it. I get so nerdy with it. Now, pilot whales are cetacea. Uh, Oh, oh, Angie, a couple years ago. I don't know if people know all the insides and outs of the podcast, but when somebody hammered you for saying cetaceans wrong... Right. It, it's shutations. Shutations or something. Shutations. Yeah. Okay. So shutacea. And I, honestly, I'm probably still say, <laughs> saying it wrong. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows pronunciation is not necessarily my area forte. No, no, mine either. I'm either. So cetaceans. So you're talking whales, dolphins, porpoises. You have over 90 species of that. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Like Angie said, not belugas or narwhals, but pilot whales belong to Delphinidae. Mm-hmm. So this is the family of dolphins. Right. Where you have 32 species. And shout out to Maddie, who uh, has been emailing us. And she's she has interest in working with uh, dolphins. Thank you, Maddie, for reaching out to us. We yeah, always yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, she was great. She was great. So six species within here, they refer to them as blackfish. And that made me think of Maddie because she asked us to cover the documentary blackfish, which maybe one day we will. But these are dolphins that are commonly called whales. Killer whale, okay, is a dolphin. We covered that. The melon-headed whale, the pygmy killer whale, the false killer whale, and then the two species of pilot whale. So all fall under the dolphin family tree. Now, longfin pilot whales, their species name is Globocephala mellus. Mm-hmm. Globehead. Yeah, it is a globehead, <laughs> isn't it? It is because mellus melon, yeah. The short fins are Globocephala macrohindcus. 
these words, science. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the two species, two distinct species of pilot whales. Whale evolution, we've covered this before, but briefly, again, mammals come in 60, 55 million years ago, land relatives. Do you remember whose closest relative is to whales that's still on land? I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. Oh, 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 a hippo. Yeah, your husband. Who won the hippo off? Didn't you? Oh. you did. Oh. No, I think he no, did. No, John did. John did. Yeah. You won the you won the the, the lion. I, the that lion. made him very upset for days. Yeah. <laughs> I we have to do another one of those soon. So yeah, hippos. Hippos are the closest relative, land relative to today's whales. But hippos only date back 15 million years. So, anyways, starting around 49 million years ago is when our early artiodactyls went from land to sea. Right, wading in, maybe trying to catch fish. That is where they started to to venture out. And one of the earliest relatives is called a running whale, which I think is kind of cool. And it was 48 million years ago, Ambelectus, mm-hmm. like 10 feet long. So it it would hang out on beaches, I think, but it, it had leg-like limbs but could swim with them. And it wasn't until about 45 million years ago where you see species that look more like today's whales. And then by 40 million years ago, they were fully aquatic. They weren't coming up on beaches anymore. Now, the the closest living relatives of the pilot whales are the melon-headed whale, the pygmy killer whale, the false killer whale, and then rhesus dolphins. So that's their, their closest genetic relatives. So, you know, it's pretty similar to, to other whales. They've been around for, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of years, uh, pilot whales. It, there has not been anything specific that I could point to and say, this is right when pilot whales emerged or when the three species diverged, because you did have that one species they think was in the North Pacific. But um, again, whales are tough because I remember going back, probably blue whale, you don't have a lot of fossils because, you know, they're in the ocean. So a lot of the bones and stuff are either at the bottom of the ocean where they couldn't fossilize. And it would just be a rare event where some land had come up where it was an ocean where something was able to fossilize. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. With the short finned whale, there's two different geographical forms, researchers think. But they don't know if they're separate. They might be separate subspecies. Um, there's a short fin pilot whales off of Japan. Yeah, Angie, I, I think I was reading something like that because it just seemed like the North Pacific, there's still a lot of discovery needed. Mm-hmm. Be, be, you know, from Vancouver Island, you know, all the way across the North Pacific to Japan. Right. Uh, they, they have found different types of fossils. So I think there's still some confusion. I know I did read like the, the short fins kind of have taken over some of that territory, filling that niche that used to be filled there. But there's still a lot of debate on that third species, what it means and things like that. So, yeah, I think there, there is some differences in, say, like the short fins in that part of the world say versus the short fins that are in the Atlantic or Indian Oceans. Yeah. Now, 
like we said in the in the beginning, or even going on that that tangent, and I, I apologize if if anybody was offended by that. But again, you know, Angie and I just try to deliver facts and. Trust me, folks. He toned it down. <laughs> and he did. We did a prep run before we hit the record button, so he could get all of his yah yahs out. Yeah, well, <laughs> just kidding. I, I, just, I know, love your passion. If we didn't, yeah, I know. If we didn't have this passion, we wouldn't do this podcast. And I know. And also learning too. I, I honestly watching Sea Spiracy and studying pilot whales this week for me, it got really emotional and it harkened back to um, bear bile farming. Oh and, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like I always knew about that a little bit because. Because I love animals and I've been studying them for a long time. So it was like a a whisper in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually dedicated a week of my life studying it and then talking in my interview with Animal Asia's founder, Jill Robinson, about her heroic effort the past 20 to 30 years trying to stop bear bile farming over in Asia and doing a great job at it and making, making mm-hmm. one person – making huge, huge steps towards just ending that horrific practice. But I w- it was just so emotional for me because I had almost shied away from learning about the cove and these mm-hmm. and these whale hunts because I don't really I don't I want to pretend it doesn't happen. I don't want to I don't it's almost like ignorance is bliss. I I don't mm-hmm. want to educate myself because I I it's just so it's just so horrible and I feel so helpless. Yeah. Well, I give us I give us permission to express our opinions every now and then. We've been doing this for over three years, Angie. Right. Well, and I think we've established our reputation yeah, as being well, pretty we'll honest, we'll data driven. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk a lot about that in conspiracy. But it, it's it, it's been a very similar week for that, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't want. It's like I know that, or I knew this happened, but I didn't. Or I knew I knew this part of the ocean, like with tuna and stuff, was really bad and shark finning and all these things. But I don't really want to, you know. Uh, I, I, but sometimes you have to go down that deep, dark rabbit hole, feel sad, mad, angry, all of that, and then that's where you and I come in, and we're going to help everybody pick up the pieces and find out what we can be, what is being done, some of the positives, and what else we can do. Yeah, and you—it's just looking at the data. You look at the data; mm-hmm. they don't need it to survive. If they did, I—I I would not be so strong on it. You know, it's—it's it's a tradition that needs to die. Bear bile farming—that needs to die. That needs to go away, right? It is—we are way evolved than we were two hundred years ago or three hundred mm-hmm. years ago. You know, and I understand Inuit people need to hunt whales. I'm not arguing against them. It's the Faroe Islands, and it's Iceland, and it's Japan. You know, it's these countries, Norway, that are still doing it because of tradition enough. Because, I mean, these things live almost up to 60 years, you know. Yeah, they have really long, in-depth, complex lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to get through some of the quick physiology, because we need to get to behavior, because that's the meat and potatoes of whales. That, that's, that's again, I think that's the the capstone of this argument on why we shouldn't be hunting them. You know, things like echolocation, we've talked about that. They have that big melon. That <laughs> so helps. cute. It is, it is. So, you know, the cephalic swelling. And again, like like Angie's so well described this before, it's tissue is wax and fat that it, it's like the lens of an eye, but it's only for sound that they can focus and alter it with their calls and clicks, which I think we're going to hear. So just a quick reminder of how they do that. They, they send out the sound through their melon. They can directionalize it. 
then the incoming sound in their jaws is how they feel it, right? That's how they, they hear it. Mm-hmm. And then it helps them uh, determine distance, size, all sorts of just incredible senses that we don't us humans just can't even really relate to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think in one of the podcasts I use the analogy is where it's like being able to sit in a room and know that you know, uh, this exact person's about to come through the door yeah. before they do. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing how tall they are, knowing whether they have, they have a beard, knowing whether or not they're wearing sneakers. I mean, if they have a red shirt on. And you're deciding on. whether you want to eat it or not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, we use smell, right? John comes home with dinner or something. You're like, ooh, that smells good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, talking about eating, because their dives, 10 minutes. Uh, they can go up to 600 meters or 2,000 feet. General dives are, are are shallower, you know, less than 200 feet or 60 meters. Like you said, squid, fish, cod, herring, mackerel, you know, some of the, the those types of fish that they eat, but again, mostly squid, right? Yeah. And what's really interesting, I read about short finned pilot whales is that they're known, of course, for diving and diving deep to get the squid or the cod or the flatfish at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, but they're also sprinters. And so compared to beaked whales and spurned whales, uh, a short finned pilot whale is going to be much more energetic at the same depth. So researchers have, have observed them sprinting towards the end, possibly to catch their prey and it'll make some buzz and click sounds. And you might think, Oh, that's not that big a deal. But if you've ever been in the water and been diving down and holding your breath for a little bit, and then tried to sprint towards the end when you don't have any oxygen (laughs) or you're trying to conserve the little oxygen that you have, it's, it's really quite unique. Uh, And, Researchers are wondering if they have um, a, a higher metabolism that allows them to do the sprinting at deeper depths. Um, and so far, it hasn't necessarily been observed in long-finned whales, but it, it might just be that they're not as well-studied and there's still a lot about pilot whales that we just don't know in general because, well, they're in the ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tough, but to, when they, tough to study them. Oh, oh. But when they are above water, a lot of their behaviors are fun and typical of the dolphin family where they're known to, to do some tail slapping and spy hopping where they jump in and out of the water to kind of see what's, a, what's ahead on the horizon or to see where their pod is. And like other cetaceans, they are highly social. They're, they are my type of creature. Uh, they love their pods. They hang out in their pods. Uh, most of them will remain uh, with the pod that they're born in throughout their lifetime. And both the long fin and short fin pilot whale live in groups of anywhere from 10 to 30. But depending on the time of year and what's going on, sometimes you may get lucky and see up to 100 just hanging out together. Uh, and so far, studies have shown that their social structures are very similar to uh, resident killer whales, which means the pilot whale pods are very stable and the members of the pods have what we call a matrilineal relationship, matrilineal relationship, which basically means that although there's various ages and males and females within the pod, it's the adult females 
tend to um, outnumber the males and tend to have more uh, decision-making or dominance within the group. And as I mentioned before, these pods are very, very close knit and they want, they have a real instinct to want to stay together. And, And part of that might be some of the reasons why you'll have mass strandings of them and, or you're able to, to use boats to corral and herd them onto shore in some of these mass slaughter events. And not to anthropomorphize it too much, but this desire to want to stay with your pod or your family, I mean, we can all relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I wouldn't leave yeah. my grandmother behind or one of my kids. I would I I, I would go off the cliff with them, right? You're, not, you're, not, not, a, tr- you're not a quaka, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not th- I'm not throwing my baby to get away from a predator. predator. Uh at least as of today. So um it, I mean, it really, for me, we can all relate to our family group, even if our fam- a member of our family annoys us here and there, like in general, they're your people, right? They're your, mm-hmm. they're your everything. And mm-hmm. these whales show this and they show it time and time again. And to target that behavior in order to hunt them and slaughter them to me is just, it's really, really sad. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that, Andy, because it, 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 I did look up some of the stranding stuff that you mentioned earlier. And pilot whales are the the number one whale that strands themselves the most, even here off New Zealand. Well, so. I found that out, and that's where I'm like, whoa, they're like really family oriented. It's so sad. Right, right, and and the looking into this, they they still don't know why. That there's some theories. They the, the pilot, like Angie said in the beginning, the, the, the reason they came up the name pilot whales, that one of the whales is the pilot that leads. And they think, you know, they, they had some bad navigation or they were sick and they led the pod to somewhere shallow where they get stranded. They think, you know, the Earth's magnetic field may affect them. They're, the pod's under severe distress. There's concerns with oil exploration and or military stuff with sonar could drive these whales to strand themselves. So we, we really don't know the cause, right? I mean, it's just you see it and it's a mass stranding because the whole family sticks together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in September 2020, there was about 470 pilot whales stranded in uh, Strahan, Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them re- help when you think about conservation heroes and animal heroes, uh, volunteer workers are able to get about a hundred of them rescued. Um, and then in November, 2020, 120 pilot whales were stranded off the coastline of Sri Lanka. Uh, but the good news is, is all but five were able to be rescued. So once again, kudos to all those helpers and Pandora or Panadura, Sri Lanka, and Strahan, Tasmania, helping getting getting some of these more recent strandings under control and helping these poor creatures out. And then a big shout out to New Zealand, because researchers from your neck of the woods uh, have basically used their behavior, their um, this, this strong herding behavior, to help. And what they did is when... Um, a pod of longfin pilot whales were stranded. They were able to get young members of the pod 
and take them offshore. And those distress calls were able to encourage the other pod members to leave the shallow area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. say they, they weren't necessarily stranded. They were just like in a shallow right. area about to be stranded. Mm-hmm. And they got this youngin out in the deeper water. It's distress calls were so meaningful that the herd turned around and went back out into the deep water. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, using kind of their own biology and behavior to, to help them out. Uh, but yeah, when you think about how strong their bonds are, to do this, it, it really is. It really is incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's oh whales. When it comes to whales, I, I know I love the them. Orca, I'm like, why? Uh, <laughs> why did we study horses and not whales? What were, <laughs> I mean, dramatic. I love. We love horses. I love horse. I love studying. I can watch them eat for days. Like that just makes me happy. Well, but, we, we we all had to start somewhere, right? And right, right, so, right. Like, you know, I have Ma- Madeline or Maddie that's emailing me saying, "Should I study dolphins and whales?" The answer is yes. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Yes, we need we need more Maddies out there for sure yes. because there's still a, a lot that we don't know. But when it comes to communication with pilot whales, there is a lot that we do know. Um, they're going to communicate with each other just like you do with your family members. There's going to be visual communication, physical communication, and, of course, acoustic. And, in fact, with pilot whales, as Chris mentioned, they do a lot of echolocation with clicks for foraging and whistles. Uh, but in general, the whistles are going to be some of the most dominant sounds that they're going to make. And... There's differences between short finned and long finned. And what we do know with the short fin pilot whale is they're going to be the frequency of the noises are going to be higher and wider than those of long fin pilot whales. And short fin whales have been recorded exhibiting group specific calls. Okay. So a study off um, the southwest coast of Tenifery and the Canary Islands found that short finned pilot whales, members of the families maintain, maintain contact with each other through unique calls and repertoires within their pod. So dialect, right? That goes back to, like I said, orcas. We, that's why we had a two part episode because there's so much with behavior and when you, we, we did have this discussion about culture, like how to define culture. And when you're getting into different pods, have different dialects or accents, you know, for lack of a better term, right? Like mm-hmm. I catch you saying y'all every now and then. And <laughs> you're, I'm like, edit that out, Chris. <laughs> Florida's definitely, uh, you know, getting to you, but yeah, it's. They they fascinate me. They fascinate me. They are so complex. Right. And so now these individual like repertoires uh, within the pods, that has not been documented in, in the long fin pilot whales. But Maddie and other young or budding uh, marine researchers out there, we need to document it because it's probably just that it hasn't been studied or that it hasn't been looked at. But there was a recent study out of Curtin University, looking at long fin pilot whales in the Southern Hemisphere, so near you, Chris. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that long fin pilot whales can mimic the calls of their predators, like the orca. Right. 
So this was observed off the coast of Australia where longfin pilot whales were talking, whistling, clicking, chirping like orcas while they were scavenging food. And researchers think that they were doing this behavior to deter other orcapods from coming into the area and getting the food. And while mimicry, vocal mimicry in order to detour predators is seen in primates and some birds, it's never been recorded before in these mammals. Hmm. And then this team also uh, found that with long fin pilot whales, that they could carry out coordinated pattern singing. Like what I'm doing with my my newborn son right now. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, like that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah, he, he can't cute. sing back yet, but he keeps cooing. So it's yeah, super it's so fun. Cute. It's so cute. But yeah, I mean, coordinated pattern singing, that's just rad. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And then lastly, the same team out of Curtin University found that uh, the Southern Hemisphere long fin pilot whales had similar vocal dynamics to the northern ones but there's no evidence of because they live so far apart right like top of the world to the bottom of the world uh that that they don't cross paths and so they're wondering if maybe they do and researchers are just missing it maybe there's you know longer migrations or i don't know um or if some of these interesting dialects or whatever patterns of uh, vocal repertoire is evolved separately over tens of thousands of years because it gets the job done. They don't know. Mm. So, so many mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, uh... Uh, yeah. Why did we study land mammals? I know. <laughs> I come the ocean. Uh... Uh, I miss the ocean. I love the ocean. Uh... I mean, the ocean is only 30 minutes from me on the coast, but well, what are some of the the breeding stuff? Because I just again, I don't know. I just uh, I'm on this orca kick because uh, we covered them so much. But other whales too, gestation length. You know, I wonder how long it is. And yeah, well, in general, uh, even though they spend time within their matrilineal pod, uh, both long fin and short fin pilot whales are loosely polygynous, which means that they will breed outside of their pod which is an important thing because they don't want any inbreeding. And so what will happen a lot of times is males will temporarily leave the pod to mate with females from other pods. And then after the male mates, uh, the male pilot whale will usually spend a few months with a female and he might even sire a few different offspring um, from the pod that he's visiting with or several different pods, but he will then come back to his own pod. And and stay with them for his life. So that's how that that helps prevent inbreeding. And I couldn't find much with courtship behavior. Uh, so there, young researchers or anybody budding researchers, I should say, they don't have to be young. That's I, I went back to grad school as a mature student, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but what has been observed with pilot whales is some male to male displays as far as um, dominance or 
uh, aggression in order to win over a female where they, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, they, they're, they collide their melons together at heightened speeds. So ow, <laughs> I know I just think it like, cause it's kind of looks loose. So it, I don't know if it jiggles or what. Um, and I, I suppose the ladies like that. I don't know. Uh, it, it seems a little, I don't think that's what I'd want to see, but teach their own. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but when a female becomes pregnant, the long fen pilot whale, it's going to have a gestation of anywhere from 12 to 16 months. Okay, and cool. a sh- yeah. Oh yeah. Over a year. Trust. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know. I, take it. <laughs> nine, nine months, months. <laughs> especially with my, with uh, my second born, uh, that was bor- uh, born in August, uh, during the summer months here in Florida, mm-hmm. nine months is plenty long. So yeah, yes, okay. 12 to 16 months is, is very long. Yes. And, and then short fin pilot whales are going to have a gestation period of about 15 months. And females will give birth to a single calf. And then, of course, they're mammals, so they're going to lactate and the calf will nurse. And initially, the calves are born without the bulbous head. So the melon will grow as the calf matures. In Papa Pilot Will, the dad, he doesn't really have much involvement uh, at all because he's not there. So it's up to the mom for the most part that will teach the young, uh, the young calf how to hunt. Right? How are you going to eat? All how are you going to catch squid and do all mm-hmm. this and do your dives? And the calf sticks close to mom for a long time, so she'll nurse anywhere from two to three years. Um, and it allows for a really long mother calf bond, but it's been observed that young pilot whales can actually keep suckling, um, until they're 13 to 15 years old, mm-hmm. especially if it's the last calf for a female, the youngest, the baby. Wow. Wow. A long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I can already tell that, I mean, you just, uh, with my youngest, he's definitely my youngest. We're done. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, John and I are so in love. We're like, we just, and we love all of our kids, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just think you get a little bit more nostalgic when you know it's your last one, you don't have another baby on the way. And so I, I, I'm, we're going to try not to spoil him, but, uh, I can see in the in in the pilot whale families why a mother if she's if she's if her reproductive years are over while she'll let that nurse that that young one nurse for a long time because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that bond is just so wonderful and and that alone too when you're talking about emotions and complex feelings and social mm-hmm. dynamics I mean Bonding, it's just yeah. yeah it's just incredible um, and. As far as generation interval, interval goals for conservation, uh, it, it's, they don't breed that often. In fact, pilot whales have won the longest birth intervals of any of the cetaceans. Mm. They calf anywhere from on very minimal three years, but it can be up to five to eight years between calves. So, so that's long, yeah. some serious commitment, right? And so if you're yeah. breaking up, that pod due to hunting or, or if somebody gets caught in a, if, if a, if a, um, a family member gets caught in a bycatch net, I mean, it's just, it, it really can, I mean, hinder their population. Well, and the oceans are in such deep trouble. I mean, it's just, it's maddening. Yeah. Sometimes. It's yeah. maddening. And Chris, one of my favorite facts about short fin pilot whales, and I hinted to it a second ago, 
when I said that uh, a female, if this, if this is her last calf before she can stop having calves, is because short-fin pilot whales fall into the category of having menopause. Mm, so there's yeah. very few female mammals out there that experience menopause. Humans, of course, are one of them. Orcas, as we discussed on our orca episode, and now we have short fin pilot whales. And then recently, two more mammals were are thought to experience a menopause. Elephants? Nope, they're in the ocean. Oh, two more. Well, orcas. I, I think I remember mm-hmm. that. Or yeah, definitely orcas. And then, I already said that. Yeah. <laughs> just just teasing with you. <laughs> right, if you're if you were listening, Chris, I just said that a second <laughs> I mean, ago. I was listening. I was, I was thinking about what's next. Um, oh. here I'll give you a hint if you can see my screen. Yeah, narwhal. There we go. Narwhal. Yep. Yeah, okay. And then here's the second one. The beluga. Yeah, because they're pretty yes. close. Yeah, they're pretty close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good good job on the. Uh, thank the, you. The, thank the, you. The, the unicorn that you put out. <laughs> yeah. So, and what? makes this so unique is that these older females experience this menopause and still live. And they have a really important part, or researchers think that they have a really important part in the pod as a grandmother. And it's actually been dubbed the grandmother hypothesis. Because with having this really long lifespan that has mothers living close to their daughters, it's thought that these older females have evolved to no longer have the ability to reproduce, right? Stop having a cycle. And then they can use their time and their energy to basically nurture their daughter's offsprings Mm -hmm. and not compete for resources like breeding or breeding rights or food for that matter. Uh, And in orcas, this, this phenomenon has been studied a lot more than in short from pilot whales or in belugas and narwhals. It's just kind of started to come up. But what we know about orcas is that studies have pointed out that adult orca sons are more likely to survive if their mom is around. And then grandmother orcas have also been spotted sharing food with their grand calves. So not just the daughters, but also the grand, the grandsons, the grandkids, if you will, or grand, grand pods or mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anyways, researchers think that these grandmother orcas, or in this case, short fin pilot whales, if they live and they experience menopause, it helps the old, the whole pod survive, which means the DNA keeps getting passed around mm-hmm. and it's a good thing. So, Interestingly enough, uh, scientists have not observed this in the long fin pilot whales, but I couldn't find if it's just from lack of it being studied or just in general, long fin pilot whales are less studied than short fin. I would think so. I mean, just because they're at the you know, circumpolar, so they're just at, at more of extremes, right? Yes, I, but I these are so, questions yeah. that Maddie or yeah. any of you out there need <laughs> yes. to answer for us. Yes, 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 yes. But just another reason why I love them, um, and and however many years when I go through menopause, I will respect them even more. Yeah, <laughs> so well, I'm like I'm like does a does a short fin pilot whale have hot flashes? I wonder. So, I'm sure but, physiology. I'm I sure know, go, right? They, Super interesting. Changing hormones, yeah. Mm-hmm. They go through different things. Then and Angie, just you know, conservation, like you said, we don't know. We just don't know numbers. I mean. 
200,000 short fin pilot whales estimates, estimates of maybe a million long finned. But again, we don't know. We don't have good census data on this species. They are least concerned right now. So, you know, they're, they're not a species in trouble yet, but we do know the oceans overall are in decline. I mean, that that's, that's clear. I just read, was it yesterday, a curved beak whale, right? Is that Mm -hmm. saying it right the the one of the deepest diving mammals in the world they found one washed up i think in the uk i think that's where it was and it had like 15 kilograms of garbage in its stomach like we know the oceans are polluted so who is out there helping save whales or save these whales yeah, Chris. Well, I want to give a big shout out this week to the American Cetacean Society. We've talked about them in the past, but just in general, uh, it's an amazing group that's been around for decades, and they are recognized as just whale and dolphin and porpoise heroes. Uh, they bring current education and research and conservation issues uh, to people who can help fix things and care about things. And they get different groups together, of course, using science as their background. And um, their national headquarters is in San Pedro, California, back near your old stomping grounds. San Pedro? St. Pedro. San Pedro. San Pedro. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mom grew up. Yeah, San Pedro. Oh, cute. Okay. LA. Very it's good. LA Harbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're just really, I mean, if you're going to give your money to an organization, these guys are like, you know, have the gold standard and, uh, you can find them as on as acsonline.org. That's once again, the American Cetacean Society. And, uh, but yeah, check out their website. They have a lot of educational in- information out there and it tells you exactly what they do. And then they also have a lot of different chapters depending on, um, what region you live over in, um, on, on the West coast. But, I also want to give a big shout out to another group that we've covered, of course, the um, Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. I was going to say that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, Episode 193. Go check out that interview with Paul Watson, please. Yes. Yes. It's just um, they're heroes and they are definitely always uh, fighting for pilot whales and other, other just the ocean in general, but um, several species in, within the ocean. And they can be found at seashepherd.org. And Crystal, Put those links on our show notes um, for you to check out. And of course, our Patreon listeners can help vote of who we should give our money to this month. Yeah, no, I, you know, sorry for being on the soapbox. It's just sometimes I come across stuff. I mean, I come across a lot of stuff that riles me up. I just don't share it on the podcast, but I, I'm very comfortable. Oh, he shares it with me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely well, the, buff- <laughs> the, I've got the a, buffering yeah. box. I've got a very good interview coming up too with the Wolf Conservation Center, the things going on there in Idaho that fires me up and and we're better than this. We are as human beings, we are better than this and we need to do better. There's a lot of heroes out there fighting like the American Cetacean Society, like Sea Shepherd. We just need to give them our support. They need more and we just need to shine a, a, a bright light on some of this stuff. And and I think the whaling in the Faroe Islands needs to go. It needs to go. You know, it, it's something that that is not needed just because it's tradition. It, I'm sorry. It, you know, welcome to the 21st century. 
the modern world. You don't need it. You don't need the whale meat. Plus it's contaminated because we've polluted the ocean so much. So we don't even know what the long-term health is of these populations because of that. Exactly. And I just think the more I learned and hopefully everybody learned about uh, pilot whale behavior and social, the social nature of these creatures, and let alone the fact they're darn cute. Crystal put some photos on our show notes and over Instagram this next week. I mean, they're they're worth fighting for, and they're worth they're worth conserving, and they're worth protecting from anything cruel. Yep, and you know, just just stay tuned for that special episode with Corbin. We'll be we'll be doing that very soon, and then we'll be back with the new species. We've got a pretty good lineup in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Yes. And Chris, I want to give a shout out to you because I do appreciate your passion, buddy. That's <laughs> why we do this podcast every week. And I'm so happy to be your partner in this uh, along on this ride. So don't not be passionate, right? And the same uh, thing uh, for all of our listeners out there. It's your passion, sending us emails and giving us reviews on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, please, please do. We haven't had any in the last couple months couple months and it makes me really sad uh, so uh we need yeah we it, it takes a village and and we all need it to uh, be on this this passion project together to help uh, save these species yeah yeah thanks for listening thank you listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com